Hello, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast, where three of, let's say, Europe's premier acting teachers and coaches spend some time talking about the business, the craft, the mindset of acting, and pretty much everything in between. I am Brian Casp, and I'm coming to you this week from Budapest. Usually I'm in Prague, and I'm joined by my two trusty co-hosts. They are Andrea Helene, who is normally based in Mallorca, Spain, but today, Hey, Andrea. I am in sunny Los Angeles. In sunny Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Right. I only record from sunny locations. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, well, it's very warm in sunny Spain these days. I heard it was like yes. 48 degrees. Oh, that's a little scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also joining me, as always, in the triumvirate is Gary Condes, who is joining us. Are you in London today, Gary? I am in London, Brian and uh, Andrea. Uh, and great, great to hear you again. And uh, yeah, I mean, whereas Andrea hogs all the sun, I have all the. I tend to live in you know the cloudy, rainy part of the world. So. Um, <laughs> You know, it balances it out somewhere along the line. I suppose Brian sort of straddles both sides being there in Mm. Central Europe. Yeah, I don't like to keep all my eggs in one basket. That's for sure. No. (laughs) Well, that's an honorable thing to be doing. Yeah, that's right. Also joining us today, it's our pleasure to welcome a director who I had the pleasure of working with, Miguel Alexandra. Is it Alexander or Alexandra? Alexandra. Originally, it's a French name, but I'm actually from Portugal. It's where I was born, but I grew up in Germany. So it's very European. Awesome. Miguel and I had the pleasure of working together on a TV miniseries shot in Prague, and it was a really exciting experience. So we're going to talk about that and talk about his experience doing it and working as a director in television and larger formats as well. But before we get into that, we want to check in with everyone and see what they have been up to this past week. Miguel, we want to include you in this. Maybe you can go last unless you have something ready to go. No, no, please go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So Gary, what about you? Yeah. So what I've been up to this week, I've had quite an interesting coaching assignment on a TV series, but I'm not going to be able to name the TV series, unfortunately, because I'm on an NDA. But what I will say, it's a mystery sort of crime drama set partly within the secret service of a particular country. And what's been interesting... He's teasing us, Gary. He's just a tease. I'm giving you you as much information as I can without actually going over the edge. Okay. But but what's been interesting about it is a a couple of things. I've actually been working with two different actors on the same show Mm -hmm. who have come to me independently. Mm -hmm. So like one day I'm working with one on and then the next day I'm working with the other actor on it. So there's that, which is going to be very interesting when they meet on set. (laughs) You know, hopefully the the sparks will fly. Do they they know? Know that you're work that you're working with the other one, or is it been a secret? I've no, I've mentioned, I've mentioned it, um, and they didn't mention it to each other. I've mentioned it to them, so <laughs> they kind of like, oh, okay, great, that's going to be cool. They were quite cool about it, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what bleeds through. But what's mostly been interesting about working on it is this is a second series, so one of the characters has developed quite substantially and sort of gone up in rank. People who were friends before and sort of the same rank are now under them being exposed to someone who is flexing their muscles in a way that they didn't before. So it's really interesting to see how that character change has happened over the two seasons. 
Hmm. When you say that, you mean rank within the context of the story, not rank within like the pecking order of the actual actors or the cast list. Yeah, well, kind of, because their rank uh, demands more time. But yes, more rank in terms of they have become um, a higher ranking officer in the story, which means they're now spending more time on screen. You know, their ruthless side has come out, let's put it that way. (laughs) And it's just very interesting to have to deal with that after having worked with her on it in season one. And now it's really like working on a completely different character. Of course, it's the same actress and it's the same character, but so much has happened to her and the psychology now that's being asked to sort of come to light is quite different so it's interesting getting the actress to really go that and not hang on to what was happening in season one. Gary, when you say that you were working with her on it on season one, does that mean that that was something that you guys were cutting hints of in the script and kind of pulled out and then the writer started writing to that or is it something that was really there in the scripts beforehand and you just kind of were kind of dealing with what was there no not at all there was no hint at it at all so it was it something came that out you guys it. were kind of building into her character and then they started writing to that well no they just completely wrote it for the second season okay. it's just, it was just mm-hmm. a complete surprise okay. and the second season starts with it having happened uh-huh. and all the other characters are taken by surprise Ooh. Nice. Yeah. So the challenge was to treat it like a different character almost so that there would be a big difference because there is a big difference. Mm. And it was just getting the actor to let go of a lot of things that happened in season one. I was going, just treat it as a, a different character. Of course, all the information stays the same. Mm. All the history stays the same. And you'll use that. But you are operating very differently now. Mm. So let's treat it differently. That's mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Is there any kind of a timed switch? Like, can you give a sense of the timeline between her character's first season and the second? Yeah, it's not long. It's probably within a year. Okay. Yeah. It's always, I find, a very, very interesting thing and fun thing to play as an actor, right, is those developmental changes. And sometimes you get them within a season, right? You get them within a season. Right. But it's was pretty consistent and a lot smaller part. But mm-hmm. you don't know what's happened behind the scenes, but she's unleashed her inner <laughs> authoritative figure. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's been very cool. Awesome. Nice. What about you, Andrea? What have you been up to this week? Oh, I've been on vacation mode, guys. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's more the reflection season for me at the moment. But yeah, doing some planning for some upcoming workshops this fall in Mallorca and maybe some also online. And not only writing at the moment, but mostly reading and planning. So it's been good. It's been good to have a new perspective and to touch base with some of my creative hive here in L.A., Mm-hmm. and tune into what's happening here. So yeah, it's it's been good for the mind, body, and soul, I would say. Has your agent been sending through any auditions lately? Uh, I had one right before I came. Yeah. Yeah. And it was one of those moments that we, I think we all face far too often. It's like, oh God, you know, you don't want to see the audition notice almost. Like, no, 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 no. I have my whole life planned out. You're, <laughs> give, you're giving me, yeah, you're throwing me a curveball. And then there's that little wrestling match in the mind where you say, no, wait a second. You just have to do your best. If you, if you make the determination together with your team that this is an audition, your opportunity you're going to take, then you need to just focus on that and do your best and see what happens next. So, so that's what I did. Actually, like two self-tapes right before we traveled. And it's that old adage that if you want the work to come, you have to plan a vacation. Yeah, a non-refundable Yes. Vacation. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my problem. I was all refundable. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so no, they were, they were fun opportunities, good characters, and 
there's another casting opportunity that may be coming my way. Um, so I'm having some conversations. I've, I've read the script and I like it very much. So as soon as I know more about that, I can share a little bit more. Nice. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and you? So I spent the last week shooting in Budapest. I had some bits to do every day. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting, kind of, because I don't have a ton to do. I'm lurking in the background a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of doing these one scene, you know, basically it's two shots where the characters who are doing stuff look over and I'm there, kind of like looking mm-hmm. at them and, and being, you know, enigmatic in the background. Oh, you're good for at the that. Most part. Yeah, I, I have a good look for that. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it's better when I'm not talking. Um, <laughs> Miguel, don't say anything yet. Um, <laughs> but uh, And then I did have a scene where I had a half page of dialogue with the main character who I'm interacting with. And I, you know, it's like every single time when I have that little taste of something really to do. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like I'm not doing anything, but I just, mm-hmm. I leave that going, oh, this is so fun. Mm-hmm. This is so fun to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for every every opportunity that comes my way. I just mm-hmm. it's so fun. I don't I, I don't know what else to say. So an interesting thing that I guess would be maybe interesting to talk about is that the guy who plays the lead character in this project, I mean, he was very friendly the first day. He came over and chatted to me. And then I kind of joked around with him a little bit the second day. And then it was he went a little bit cold on me. And chatting to other people and interacting with other people and not really interacting with me that much, kind of off camera. And I was like, what is going on? Am I, did I do something to offend him? Or Mm -hmm. is it a character thing where he doesn't want to really get friendly with me because we're kind of on opposite sides of the character thing? I didn't really push it, but it's so interesting how the social aspect of being on a set and interacting with people is also something that I really value. Mm -hmm. And I really feel it when, when someone is like, Hey, I'm going to interact with everyone, but you, it feels kind of off-putting, I guess, but maybe it's a character thing. Is it, I mean, are your characters adversaries? Yeah, very much so. Mm -hmm. So it could very well be that he, he's kind of like Mm -hmm. keeping a distance for that reason. Yeah. What a strange profession we have, you know, Uh, because these, these things probably (laughs) happen also in, 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 in other workplaces, but in filmmaking, it permeates everything because you immediately start thinking, is it because of the character? You know, is it because of what the story is Is doing to us? And it's not a personal thing, you know, is this real? And, and I find yeah. it so interesting because uh, we've worked together. I cannot imagine why anyone would stay away from you because we, you're, you're such an easygoing person, such a joy to work yeah, with. Oh, from you. what you're telling, I would probably guess, you know, it's something to do with the film or the story. It very likely is. I mean, let's hope that the guy is a true artist, you know, that is using it. Yeah, exactly. And if it is, the other interesting part of it, and then Gary, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, is how sensitive I am to mm-hmm. it. You know, someone who is fairly solid on my feet, you know, I don't really need him to like me, really. You know, Mm -hmm. I've got everything I really need, but it's so, it we're so sensitive to this kind of Mm -hmm. connection or lack thereof as actors that Mm -hmm. it's just crazy to me that I'm like, oh, but I want him to like me. I want to hang out with him, Mm. you know? And then I was like, what the, who gives a shit? You know, I'm here. You know, what does it matter really? (laughs) Anyway. Is he going to get truffles from you when you, when you finish? He will get truffles from you, yes. 
Oh, that's a big man. We've talked about this on a couple of episodes, and I think it's such an interesting angle. And it's important, I think, for a number of our listeners to think about the different ways that you can approach the onset experience. And you've always tried to make the best of it and to connect with people and to learn people's names and to connect with the crew and understand people's roles and be respectful mm-hmm. and to be, a, as Miguel says, a joyful, productive, positive presence. And so you invest in a way that maybe not every actor does. Mm. Well, I think a lot of actors show up and they do their thing and they're very comfortable to create boundaries around whom they think they need to deal with. And right. then beyond that, it's it's all whooshed. Yeah. And you're not like that. And so maybe sometimes that means that there's a vulnerability that you yourself bring to the experience as you try to emulate a certain familial atmosphere. I don't know. I, I feel like, I mean, I've talked about this definitely, but like, for us, because we have so little control over the finished product, yeah. all we have is that shooting day. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're not going to enjoy the shooting day, then what are we there for? You know, mm-hmm. like, if, mm-hmm. you know, because the pr- finished product might be good. It might not be good. It might come out. It might not come out. Mm-hmm. Your part might be completely cut out or edited in a way that is different than what you thought it should be. Yeah. You have no control over that process. So. I'm like, I'm not going to wait to enjoy it until I see it on a screen somewhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, what were you going to say, Gary? I think just to pick up on what Miguel said and what you both said, on one part, it's this is the kind of business, not like any other, where these kind of things happen more so than anywhere else, and particularly working processes, which might be loaded, might not be loaded, and might give an impression of something else. And then picking up what you're saying, Brian, was we can be oversensitive, and the creative environment oversensitizes everything anyway, and it just creates this very delicate sort of tightrope that we can can overthink things perhaps Mm -hmm. actors can overthink things and start to get thoughts in their minds where it actually has no place but you know just the other day i was opening the door for somebody and they just walked through Mm -hmm. and they didn't say thank you and under my breath i muttered you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) and i'm not normally like this but Sometimes it happens in certain situations because we, we're, we're not consistent. But, you know, what was I expecting? What did I want? Well, I wanted to be appreciated and I obviously didn't get that, you know, and, and it had an effect on me. And it's like, well, why do I want to be appreciated? Why, why the hell do, you know, it's mm-hmm, like, fair enough, mm-hmm, open the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you don't have to say thank you. It's, it's not that they were abuse me or anything, you know. Um, so it's it's loaded, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's, yeah. it's such a delicate place to be. And um, the more you do it, the more you get a sense of things and, um, you know, if in doubt, do nothing. Yeah. That's always my, um, and that's, I think what I've been doing is basically a back off and be available and be uh, engaged if he wants to be engaged. And if he doesn't, it's okay. But anyway, let's get off of this, my own neuroses. I'll have an update for you, you know, <laughs> next week, maybe, <laughs> but, um, yeah. and let's, and let's hear, we won't from... be able to see the black eye because it's all, it's all, <laughs> no, I'll post a picture of it if, if I get a black eye, um, um, but, but I want to hear from you, Miguel. So what have you been up to this week? Uh, well, first of all, I'm envious of uh, Andrea because she's on vacation. And I'm looking forward to my vacation, which is coming up soon uh, in September because I've been uh, I'm going to Portugal to a sunny place because I'm in Hamburg right now where I live. And mm. it's very gray here at the moment. It's raining. I mean, it's helpful when you're working at the desk because I've been writing. And so at least, you know, you're not tempted to go outside and lie in the sun. So maybe <laughs> it's productive in that way. <laughs> so I've been uh, yeah. 
actually been all over the place. I'm writing a new six-part miniseries with two co-writers. It's going to be a German-Belgian-Norwegian co-production. So we're developing the scripts at the moment, and we're really in the thick of it right now. But like Gary, I'm not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> it's, it's a very early phase still. Um, and I'm finishing up a TV movie that I shot in May and June, which is part of a TV show that I created five years ago here in Germany. And they asked me to come back. And I, I love doing it because I love revisiting those characters that I helped create years ago. Um, so I'm working with a composer on the music right now. I was actually listening to some part of it today during the daytime. And I've been doing some interviews for a new film that's coming out now, actually, on August 18th, a film that I made called Black Island. It's coming out on Netflix, so it's going to be seen worldwide, and uh, that's very exciting. You know, it's always a thrilling time to wait for the audience's uh, reaction. Although in this case, you know, because it's a streaming service, it feels a bit abstract because there is no contact with a real audience. So, um, you know, I might be getting some emails or stuff like that. We'll see. By the way, if I'm allowed to do some self Promotion. Yes, plug uh, it. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's called Black Island, and it's a dark thriller set on an island off the North Sea um, here in Germany, which I shot last fall. And it's about a relationship between an 18-year-old student and his female teacher, who is new on the island, starting her job in his school. And she's the first one to see his talent for writing, because he dreams of being a writer, and he completely falls for her. And they start having an affair, which is really exciting for him because she's like, you know, 17 years older than him. And what he doesn't know is that it's no coincidence that she came to the island and that it's no coincidence they're having an affair because she picked him for a very specific reason. Um, oh, don't give too much away. Plan. No, don't give uh, too much away. Uh, no, no, that, that, that's, that's, that's all, I, all I can tell. <laughs> I can tell okay. at this moment, yes. And you wrote that as well? Yes, with another co-writer, Lisa Hofer, who's actually an, an actor. I met her uh, at a shoot two years ago, roughly. Um, I cast her in the film that I was doing, and we um, you know, started talking about films that we liked, and we quickly realized that we liked the same kinds of films, and and. Uh, and we actually developed an idea for this film over two glasses of wine. And uh, and we actually followed up on it like months later. You know, we stayed in touch and we decided, you know what, let's just try this out. Let's start and uh, let's write a script together. And and we did. And it, mm. it just went so smoothly. And we just, you know, gave it to Netflix and they said, yeah, let's do this, which was really wow. fantastic. The writing relationship with an actress was a new kind of thing for me, you know, because it was extremely productive because she got her training in Vienna in an acting school and uh, the way she thinks about characters and dialogue and rhythm is really great and we just teamed up and we've just finished our second script together a couple of weeks ago. That's amazing. What's very interesting to me with you creative types that are always kind of producing stuff and directing stuff is how many irons mm -hmm. you have in the fire. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a That's little true. bit about that? <laughs> Yes. You know, it seems like you have to have a certain amount of things kind of in development so that you're kind of constantly have at least one thing that's going into production or pre-production at a time, you know? Yes, absolutely. I think that, you know, that's um, one of the biggest parts of the game to really have different irons in the fire. I was talking to William Boyd the other day, uh, you know, who, as you know, wrote Spice mm -hmm. City, you know, the miniseries we did yeah. together. And and uh, and William was talking about all his irons uh, in the fire. And he's like a really a vintage pro. And mm -hmm. it's the same thing, you know. Um, it's really important because on the one hand, it just keeps your mind 
mind fresh. Uh, I think I would get a bit depressed if I was only working on one story for a very extended amount of time. Because, mm -hmm. you know, the imminent feeling that uh, the project might uh, come to nothing uh, would just make me very depressed after a while, I think. So right. it's good just, you know, for your internal energy to know that there's different things you're working on, that there's different possibilities. And when I come back to a story uh, and leave another one, you always have a fresh look onto that story, a fresh perspective, which really helps in the development process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems like you've got so many things going on. I mean, like just, and just looking at your filmography, I mean, you've just done so many projects. I mean, a lot of them, I'd say the majority of them seem like they're in German. Yes. How many projects in English have you done? Spy City was really the first one. Yeah. Okay. So that was very exciting for me, you know, to, to cross the borders. I mean, my other films that I've made, they have crossed the borders within Europe, at least. But mm -hmm. Spy City is a different thing. And then in the Netflix movie now, Black Island, is the same because it's so exciting to know that the story that you wanted to tell is going to be viewed by uh, people around the world, like uh, Spy City, right. which is being screened in the US at the moment on AMC Plus, uh, and it's coming to Great Britain. Yes. It, I mean, it's, a, it's always the same work, whether you're just, you know, doing something locally or globally, the work is always the same. So, uh, you're telling a story with kindred spirits and people that you share the dream with. It's always the same. You know, you, you set up a camera, you rehearse a scene um, and you, you shoot it, you edit it. Uh, it's always the same. It feels different though, if, if you know that it's going to be seen uh, by a worldwide uh, audience, I guess. Does it, how much does that change how you approach it? Does it change it or does it just feel like, oh, I better, I really better not screw this one up? <laughs> It's, like it's probably more a bit pressure, more basically. Fun. Uh, no, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't say so. I feel more motivated. It feels more energetic in a way. But in the end, the common denominator is always the same. You're always trying to do your best work, and you, you're trying to make a film that you yourself would like to watch. I think that's the basic thing. And no matter you know whether you work for the TV screen or for the big screen or for a streaming service. I mean, my feeling at least is, uh, you know, I want to make the film in a way that I would like to watch it as an audience. Yeah. Do you find there's a difference in terms of the way that the English speaking actors approach the work versus the German speaking actors approach the work? Because actually Andrea was teaching at the, what is it? The, the Zaboni school, the, yes. the film Zaboni, mm -hmm. which, what is it? Andrea can say it better. I, I she, she's, <laughs> I can't say it. Schauspielschule Zerboni in München. Of course, it's very well known because I, yeah. I, I studied film at the Munich Film Academy to be a director. Ah. So, uh. So that's well known. Andrea, you, you speak perfect German. Are you German? My mother is German. And uh, I I'm, yeah, I'm American born, but my mother was determined that we would learn German. So we traveled a lot back and forth as kids. And then we had to do like Saturday morning German school and learn all of our <laughs> grammar. So yeah, my German is pretty good. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. Very nice. Well, I'm surprised yeah. now. Great. Um, and and it's, it's opened up a lot of opportunities for me. Yeah. I've played a lot of Germans speaking English, German speaking German, <laughs> Germans who emigrated. I think <laughs> it's been good for my acting career and good for my personal life as well. So I guess so. That's great. Yes. Gives you more opportunities, yeah. of course. It, it, that's fantastic. That's right. But Brian, you're getting at some points that we had about, about the language. Now that we, I have a couple of theories about the German performers and the English language performers. And I... So I wonder also if you notice any differences in mm -hmm. how they're functioning or how they're expressing themselves and if the 
linguistics play a role in your perception? Like for me, to see the mm-hmm. verb at the end of the line is a bit of a trap sometimes maybe in acting mm-hmm. because there's a head element to it. Whereas in English, it's like the verb comes pretty quickly and you can be pretty clear about what you're thinking and saying and doing. And so I don't know, what is, maybe you can talk a little yeah, bit about the yeah. experiences cult- culturally and linguistically. Well, to be honest, I was a bit nervous before doing Spice City because it was my first you know, venture uh, working with uh, a lot of you know, English-speaking actors coming from a different culture mm-hmm. and different acting schools and traditions of acting and all of that. So I, I was I was a bit yeah. nervous about that, but I was surprised that on the set, you know, that uh, I, it, the work to, for me felt like like always. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's just a common sense. <laughs> In a way. And, uh, you know, I mean, so, I mean, what do you do? You go on the set, you rehearse the scene, hopefully in an intimate sort of setting. I mean, what I like to do is, you know, I send everybody away so that I'm alone with the actors. So we don't have so much pressure. And I've I've changed that uh, over the years, by the way, because originally I would have the whole crew watching. And then one day I realized it just happened by accident, really, that nobody was there. And it was just me and the two actors. And it felt so much more intimate and much less pressure and the creativity was just flying all over the place. It was great. So from then on, you know, I changed that. So I did the same thing on Spice City on the set. And we uh, just, you know, talked uh, in, in very common sense terms about the situation, the scene, the character. And it was really the same. I mean, what I noticed, though, is, or at least I felt that the English-speaking actors somehow take more responsibility for their character, I felt. Mm. Whereas the German actors are looking more to the director to help them interpret the part or the character, mm-hmm. talk ah. about the arc of the character, and mm-hmm. also about the psychology of the character. I think that that's more a German thing to do that. Whereas mm-hmm. the uh, the English actors, you know, they came... I mean, the German actors are also very well prepared. I mean, I don't want anybody to misunderstand this, but they came prepared in a different way, the English-speaking mm-hmm. ones, I, th- I thought, you know, because they somehow took more responsibility for their individual character. That's at least what I felt. Mm-hmm. But uh, other than that, you know, it was, uh, like I said, the work was uh, was as always. Mm-hmm. In your understanding, is the sort of speed, the pace of production, you're working a lot in Germany, is it different than in other countries, as you understand it, the time that's allotted for, you know, a top ort or something? Is it comparable to what's generally done in the US or in Britain? I guess it is comparable, although our production, you know, was, was led by a German production company. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, the way of working was more like a German way of working. I understand that if it had been a, a, an American production, for instance, we probably would have had a few fewer shooting days, uh, so the pressure would have been a bit bigger. But on the other hand, you know, those productions usually have more money at their disposal and have larger crews, so um, that helps uh, with the speed as well, you know. I have to add that in my work, there is something that's maybe different from other directors because for quite some time now, I've been doing my own photography on my films, so I'm also the cameraman. I have questions about that. Yeah, sure, sure. Because you shot the whole thing, you crazy man. Yeah. You shot it all, <laughs> Dolly. I know they all call me crazy man. The but... stuff that should be an easy rig or a steady cam, you shot on a Dolly. It was an incredible dance to watch it when we worked. I mean, it's a funny story, really, because, I mean, you have to know that I I started making films when I was 10 years old. So I've been doing this like all my life. And of (laughs) course, in those days, I I did my own writing, camera work, editing, you know, everything, because I was just a a teenage filmmaker. And then later on, I went to film school and, you know, I had to learn to give up all those functions and trust other (laughs) people, which I did. And I learned a lot from them. But I always felt this yearning to go back to my roots 
And then I, one day I, I just said to myself, you know, I have to try this at least once before I die, just so I know if I can do it. And I did. And I found a producer that trusted me. We had done a few films together. Then I just started it. And the thing that struck me the most, and which is the reason why I really don't want to give it up anymore, is the closeness that I had to the actors in the process of shooting by doing my own camera work. Because yeah. like you were saying, Brian, it's a dance that you have together. Even the physicality of it, you know, to move through the room together. And really the physical closeness to the actor as you're actually shooting the scene is just fantastic. And there's such a great amount of confidence and trust in each other because the actor feels that you're going through the same thing with them. And yeah. if you're not an observer standing in the next mm -hmm. room by your monitor because the room is too cramped or too small to allow for you as a director to be in there with them. Because that happens a lot of times, you know, that you cannot really be there. And I think the director yeah. should always be as close to the actors as possible to really keep that connection yeah. and the trust. Because I think the most important thing in filmmaking in the actor-director relationship is to have an environment where everybody feels safe and at ease. Because that's when great things uh, happen. You know, if you are not afraid to make a mistake, you know, or whatever that means. I mean, I don't think there's yeah. any such thing as a mistake. You know, you're just trying out stuff. But uh, I think you're a bit more courageous in your choices if you feel protected. And being there and doing the directing and the photography at the same time has really brought me even closer to the actors. And that's something that I really, really enjoy a lot because you really feel that you are making the movie together. I mean, we could really feel it mm -hmm. on set. I'll speak, I guess, maybe not for the entire acting department on Spy City because I was there, you know, I was there, but I wasn't there all the time. <laughs> but uh, but I, when I was there, I could really feel it, you know, and I think it really makes a difference when you're right in the mix and not running in back and forth from the monitor to the set. You're absolutely right. There's an immediacy that you get from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I really had a very revealing moment, like a revelation to me years ago. It was at the beginning when I started doing my own photography that I was shooting a film in Sweden with Swedish actors. Uh, that was a crazy thing because I don't speak any Swedish. I don't understand any Swedish, but I was doing this film in Swedish, which was uh, a crazy experience in and of itself so i was in this room with these two actors and we were doing the scene which i you know did in um, one master shot with a handheld camera mm -hmm. and it was like a 360 degree uh, thing you know where we saw the whole room and i think we were like on the third take or so and the actress turned to me and said my god i'm just realizing you're doing the camera and I said, oh, yes, I've been doing it like the last, with the last two weeks. <laughs> and, then, and then she said, it, it was such a crazy moment because she said, this is fantastic because you're here with us in this tiny room doing this with us. And now I'm just realizing, she said to me, that normally the director would be out there in the hallway on the, sitting on his monitor and I would be aware of it as I'm standing here performing in front of the camera. I would be mm. aware of the fact that there is somebody else yeah. out there watching me and judging me. But because you're mm -hmm. in the room with me, I don't feel that pressure yeah. because it's so natural that you're watching me because you're here with me. I mean, I, w I would never have thought that an actor would feel that. I don't know. I mean, can you guys relate to that? Totally. I think it depends on the, you know, the size and the scale of the, the role of production setup, but absolutely. I can relate to that idea. Yeah. You know, like I used to do a lot of commercials and in that setup, there's always this feeling that you have not only the director watching you, but you have the client watching you. That's the worst. It's so hard. It's so hard. It's oh, like yes, having the studio people there, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's this constant sense of judgment and that you finish a take and you, it's like, 
Was that okay? Like, you don't want to say that, but that's the feeling that you have after a take, waiting You're for right. a decision yes. from the director and, and the clients. And that doesn't necessarily allow for the most spectacular, fully present performance. Right. What you really want to have is to have everybody lose themselves in the moment, right? And not have mm-hmm. their brains working mm-hmm. the whole time. Right. I mean, to really, you know, be there and uh, with open eyes and open ears and reacting to to your partner uh, who's acting with you. Mm -hmm. You don't want to have that little voice in the back of your head telling you the whole time, you know, be aware of this, be aware of that. No, you want truthful moments to happen. And that only happens if you can lose yourself. So you you need to, to, to have that environment where that's possible, I think. Just picking up on that, Miguel, actually, I have a question for you about actors. As a director, having done so much TV and filming, going between the two and being behind the camera and in front of the camera and to the side of the camera and all around 360, I mean, (laughs) I'm just interested to know, I always ask this of a lot of directors, is is there a note that you find giving the most to actors over your time as a director? Is there something that comes up again and again? No. Okay. So there's no no one note that is sort of of one thing that you have a a, a kind of affinity to? No, because it really depends on the situation and what I try to do is you know to to give the actor a note where he or she can act upon you know in the true sense of the word i don't want to say you know be louder i don't want to use adjectives if you were to use adjectives i I guess that would be a note that you would be repeating the whole time probably you would always be saying faster louder you know stuff like that by the way I've, Mm -hmm. I've, i've read interviews with george lucas when when he was directing star wars i think it was harrison ford that said it that the word that george lucas used most during the shoot of star wars was faster do it faster, because <laughs> that was, uh, you know, that that, 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 that was his his, uh, his most important thing. Because probably he was he was afraid to bore the audience, I would think. But I think the adjustments or directions that you should give an actor should always be something that they can act. Let me see that you're afraid of him. Try to convince her more. It's stuff like that. It's really verbs. Yeah. So that's why I don't feel that there's one word or one direction that I keep saying over and over again. I don't think so. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. And I think that you got to judge everything on its merits. And, you know, what you're talking about in terms of faster or more gentle or whatever is result orientated. And we don't want to act results. We got to act the process, I believe anyway. And I think, and that's what you're getting at. That's the point. Yes, absolutely. Instead of saying do it faster, I would say, remember that, you know, time's up soon. I mean, you're really under pressure. You need to, you need to get that thing done or you need to get that idea across because because if you don't do it on time, you know, then you're going to get into trouble because the other guy over there is going to see through you. So I mean, so so that's how I, I try to convey those things. And I would guess that the actor would then feel, okay, so probably need to say this faster, but it would have something else underneath it, I think, instead of just, you know, the superficial way of just saying it faster. I think that it would be grounded in, uh, differently if, if you explain what it is or what, what he's trying to achieve because the actor is always trying to achieve something, do something. Yeah. Absolutely. This is a question I ask a lot of directors. I'm always curious to see whether they have something that they cling to, a note that they right. cling to or or have a certain affinity to, or like yourself, just deal with the situation in hand. But a director, a female director I asked recently said that the thing I find myself saying the most to actors is bloody relax and listen. <laughs> <laughs> she says, that's, I, that's I, I say it advice. all the time. That's- 
No, <laughs> that's, it's that's good advice. advice. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, it's very good advice. Absolutely. It's strange sometimes that, again, that should be common sense, but it doesn't seem to be, you know, that acting really is reacting. You know, it should be the most normal thing in the world for an actor uh, when he or she is on the set to, uh, you know, open up uh, their eyes and their ears and react, you know, because that's how great moments happen, I think. Yeah, that's hard to do because of the pressure of trying to get it right. Mm -hmm. The pressure of trying to get it right gets in the way of being relaxed and just allowing whatever's going to happen to happen. When I'm the, the least relaxed, it's when I'm trying to get it right the most. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but maybe uh, it's not so good to be too relaxed either. You know, I mean, you do need, you, <laughs> okay, do, yeah. you do need some you do, you do need some sort of energy underneath it. You know, and who knows what kind of a situation the character is in? You know, maybe the character is yeah, not relaxed true. at all. But I think the advice to to listen is a very very good advice. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had to learn all those things on my own, really. You know. Sticking with Spy City just for a moment, because I, I really enjoyed it and good to see it. it was an intelligent series, you know, and for those who are looking for sort of James Bond and car explosions and wrecked cars and endless pursuits without <laughs> sense, um, you know, this is not it, but this is an intelligent spy series and with a wonderful, always Berlin setting. But I was just, because it's a period piece, um, early 60s, yeah. I think it was, right? 61, yeah. 60. 61. 61, yes. I, obviously with period pieces, you have to do certain research, but did you draw on any influences? I mean, maybe you don't want to say, maybe you do, I don't know, but did you draw on any influences for style and mood? Because mm. I'm a big John le Carre spy yeah. novel fan. Huge. Oh yeah, of course. So yes. I'm just wondering whether you drew on any spy fiction or old movies or anything like that? Well, to be honest, for me, the great picture that I had just watched a few years ago was Bridge of Spies by Steven Spielberg. Mm. Um, I thought that was a brilliant movie and it takes place more or less at that time. So that visually for me was a great example and also from its tonality, I must say. And I could totally rely on the language of William Boyd, who is just a master. You know, that was fantastic. And then basically what we did was, you know, we, we just tried to play everything as truthfully as possible and ignore the fact that it's a period piece. Mm -hmm. I think that's sometimes a mistake that you make that, uh, you know, you're trying too much for the historic authenticity and then it feels a bit far away, you know, when you're watching it. So mm -hmm. I think in this case, we could really rely on the text as far as language was mm -hmm. concerned. Uh, and then I just tried to make a very kinetic sort of film, mm -hmm. with good choreography and a nice flow and a story of deficiency of one would say the la déformation professionnelle of spies, mm -hmm. you know, where <laughs> their, their deficiency is that they cannot trust anyone. <laughs> um, and they can never be sure whether the other person is uh, telling the truth or not. And so that was a big part of the visual language of the film, you know, where sometimes the camera, as two characters are talking to each other, they cannot be sure, is that true, is that false? Uh, and the camera just crosses the line to the other side because their point of view on the same situation has just shifted. So in a way, I, I, I try to steal a bit from Hitchcock as well, you know, for the for the series. But I'm glad to hear that you find it entertaining uh, and intelligent. We didn't have the money for the car chases, you know, but <laughs> but but, it, but it's still uh, it's still a very uh, very entertaining and suspenseful and I think very smart uh, um, uh, series. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Consider that a blessing in disguise, not having a, a loads of budget to spend on <laughs> waste on car chases. Yeah, you, who needs them? Yeah, exactly. 
I'm so glad Gary asked that question. I had the same question. Actually, I really love the visuals on it. And I, Thank you. I love the, your use of shadow and light. I think it's really, nice. really lovely. You know, so often the characters' faces are not in an obvious way, but, you know, we tend to all look at it a little bit more intently maybe than the average moviegoer. But I loved that dichotomy of the of the face so often. It was really a shaded side and then the, the lit side. And, and speaking to the theme that you were speaking about right now, I think it was really, really lovely. Nice. And the tone and the pacing, I thought you just captured it. And it was there was a consistency to it, and it was intriguing, and it, it deepened the mystery for me, just the look of it. Um, I thought it was really, really lovely. Lovely work. Oh, wow. You guys, you guys just made my day. Thank you so much. <laughs> very, very happy to hear that. And you saw what Brian did, yeah. It, right? Yeah, they didn't tell me yeah. that they liked me. <laughs> we were coming to that, you know, because I, I think he plays, you know, the very distinct part of the the CIA chief in Berlin. Uh, no frills, humorless, communist hating American. <laughs> and I, I just, yeah, yeah. But you were saying before that you had this issue on the set where you were uh, socializing with people, and some, you know, somebody didn't like it because you're such a easygoing, funny person on the set. I, you know, I just loved having you around. But in this, the character you created is just the opposite, you know. And but I just love every time that he appears on the screen because he has a hatred for people, for the world, but you play it with such conviction and with so much truthfulness that you feel mm -hmm. he's a real character, a real person, you know, and that's, that's what's oh, so much you. fun about watching the performance. Thank you. Well, that you just made my day. So that's amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk about the casting process and, and the maybe casting, casting in general? Like what do you what you look for and sure. and how you like to do auditions? Well, you know, to be honest, I find the casting process nerve wracking. I really have to admit, you know, because I just have so much uh, sympathy for the situation of the actor, you know, who's putting himself or herself out there and, you know, with all their body and soul. So I somehow I feel similarly nervous as the actor during the casting process, you know, because I'm, I'm rooting for mm -hmm. them, you know, I, and I, I do anything I can to make them feel comfortable and at ease. But, you know, we all know, no matter how much you try, you know, that it's still an audition. So usually after an entire day of casting, I'm pretty worn out, I, even, even more than after a normal shooting day, I must say, you know, so, mm -hmm. so, You know, I prefer, if possible, not having to put actors through this process, but, you know, look at the previous work and, you know, try to narrow down the options for the different parts. And then, if possible, you know, just meet the actor informally for coffee or lunch or something like that. Just have a conversation and then try to find out what kind of a human being they are. You know, if you feel comfortable in their presence, what sense of humor they have, that sort of thing. I mean, that, I mean, that's, if I can, if I can choose that, that's how I would like to, to go about it, but it's not always possible to do it that way, you know, like, but in this case, for instance, I mean, I cast Brian just because of watching, uh, you know, his work and I just went for it and I just felt that he was perfect for the part. And uh, we did meet before, you know, I just, uh, no. I just trusted my instinct and it worked out perfectly. Well, thank you. I mean, it was it was a joy to do it. Are there things that, that people do in auditions that you're like, oh, if you just did something just slightly different, that it would work out? Yeah. Like do's and don'ts that you have for people for their auditions? Well, I would say in one word, be brave, you know, when, when you're auditioning, you know, go for it. Um, really grab the bull by its horns. I'm just thinking of a moment, this new film of mine that's coming out on Netflix now, um, there is a very young actor who's playing his, it's like his first part. He's still in acting school. And of course, I, uh, you know, auditioned a few actors for that because I was looking for somebody fresh who didn't have much acting experience. And I still remember the moment that made me pick him 
instead of somebody else. It was a scene between him and his teacher, and they were having an argument. And then she pulled away from him, and he had the audacity to, to just grab her arm and pull her back towards him. And if it hadn't been for COVID, uh, he would have kissed her because that's hmm. what the scene called for, because we couldn't do that uh, during that time, at least. But the moment, it was just a choice he made in the moment, grabbing her and pulling her back. And that gave me the confidence to think, yeah, he has the energy and the attitude and the audacity to play this part. I love that. It's something that's come up several times as, as we've talked to different people about the process. And it's a question of like, you want to be brave, but you also want to try to be faithful to the script, mm -hmm. but you also want to set yourself apart, but you also don't want to be so wild that the people who are casting right. think you're crazy. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it, from from our perspective, it's a little bit of a mystery. And, it, and it's almost like an unknowable because you don't know who you're auditioning for or what they want, really. So we kind of tend to come down on like, well, just do what makes you happy. Right. Again, I can only uh, repeat it, you know, be brave and hope for the magic to happen. Because something magical has to happen in in that room. I mean, we you know we should not forget that we're dealing with mm -hmm. stories. You know, with something that's not concrete. You know, it's just in our imaginations, and you just have to let the magic happen. And when it happens, you feel it immediately in the room. I mean, it's there. And since you don't have any control over it, you know, how somebody's going to like you or not like you? Um, I think the best advice is to just use your instincts. And if you mm -hmm. feel that something is striking you, yeah. um, go for it. You know, don't hold back. And are there things? that are turnoffs for you in the casting process? Like the things that if someone does it, you're like, mm, not going to cast that person. Well, you know, normally it's personal things. You know, if I feel that somebody has no sense of humor at all, <laughs> it's like you, you, <laughs> okay. if you're not getting through to that person at all and you cannot really have a conversation or there is no reaction to anything, you know, or if somebody seems aloof or arrogance to me is like a real turnoff, mm -hmm. you know, if, if I feel that. Mm -hmm. So it's really nothing artistic, really. It's more uh, on a personal level. Because usually, I mean, just to make it clear, usually when you're casting, you're not looking to see if the actor can act. I mean, usually they can act. <laughs> they have the talent, you know, that's yeah. not the issue. It's really more, you know, the accessibility as a, as a human being. And of course, you know, the way they react to the other actor acting alongside them. I mean, those are the, the, the factors. But it's very rarely a, a matter of talent, because I mean, that's a given, right? That the actor is talented. I guess it's more about fit than... Mm -hmm. I think it's very common for actors to question it and to go, do am I, what am I doing wrong? You know, like if, if you're not getting work for a long time to kind of think, well, I'm doing something wrong or I'm not, I don't have what it takes or something like that rather than, mm -hmm. you know, the talent is a given and it's just the fit is wrong or, or something like that. I mean, it's also... Um... I mean, now we're getting into the uh, realm of the supernatural. It's uh, it's also a matter of luck, you know, that uh, people mm -hmm. underestimate sometimes, you know, to, yeah, to be lucky to get offered uh, the right part or to get offered the right casting session and, and to meet uh, the, the right person. You know, uh, I totally understand that feeling that after a while, if you're not getting any parts, that you start having doubts. That's very human. That's common. I mean, that's, that's absolutely understandable. But... Um, like, like I said, I think you just need to try out every single time as if it's your first time. Mm. By the way, that's the way I see a directing. I mean, every time I make a film, it's like I treat it as, as if it's my first film.
Yeah. There's something also, it seems like there's a similarity with how he started out the discussion, which is having a lot of irons in the fire for actors. If you're constantly working, even if you're not doing paid work, maybe, but you're you're writing something or you're doing a class or you're you're learning a monologue or, you know, the, the auditions right. that you're having, if it, there's constantly something that's happening, then you won't feel as dependent on each individual audition. Absolutely. And I was mentioning before that I've started writing with this actress that I worked with. And we've had lots of conversations on that topic. And for her, it's been really great to actually start a new profession, which is writing in this case, because it gives us so much self-confidence, you know, to not rely on acting solely and waiting for somebody to call her and to offer her something, but to create something on your own and to use a different part of your creative muscle. And I think if you yeah. can do that, I think it gives you more confidence and more joy in what you do. And as an actor, on the other hand, I mean, you, you can always be working on something because uh, there's always a skill that you can learn. Yeah. But I don't know, I would really love to hear your opinion on this because I'm not sure if you've heard that Amazon Studios have put out these rules for their new productions where they say that the part has to be synonymous with the person. So, for instance, if an actor is playing what? a gay part, the actor has to be gay. Uh, have you not heard about this? Wow. Um, I, they just put it out a couple of weeks ago, and it's absolutely incredible. I mean, you know, if somebody has a disability, then it should be played by, by a disabled person. Um, so what they're promoting is really the end of acting, because they want, like I said, the character to be uh, synonymous with the person playing the character, wow. to help along with diversity and all that, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we were discussing here at home, and we just couldn't believe it, because where would Tom Hanks be if he hadn't played yeah. that great character in Philadelphia, you know, that moved uh, an entire yeah. world to tears. You know, uh, I mean, where's the artistic uh, yeah. part? Of Daniel Day-Lewis and My Left Foot, yes, right? For instance, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is the other side of it too, which is mm -hmm. what about the really wonderful actor who is more in line with that character who never got the chance because Tom Hanks Mm -hmm. who had chances to do to tell other stories got that chance you know that, that mm -hmm. i guess it's always someone but it's i can totally see the counter argument i think that that's mm -hmm. sort of where the crux is going to lie though it should yeah. to what extent should it be mandated by the studios i think there's a very clear and open acknowledgement of the need for much more attention to be paid to diversity in our community. But the question of how to go about doing that mm. is still, I think, a little bit unsettled. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, and also, unless it was a race thing, which is very obvious, let's say, mm -hmm. you know, you are casting that kind of thing, but no one knows whether you are gay, straight, mm -hmm. or bi, or whatever, mm -hmm. and you just work from a blank canvas of like, okay, I'm just going to see, yeah. I'm going to open it up to everybody and see who I get and see what right. the best audition I'm given. And then it's like, well, mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, I didn't know who was what, so I'm not going to automatically tick boxes Mm -hmm. because I feel yeah. I'm, I'm pressurized into that. I mean, it's mm -hmm. really tricky, and we, we are in that era now. Does that, um, wait, does that mean that gay people can only play gay characters, though? That well, doesn't exactly. That's, that's, that's the other what, way. what yeah. it means. And it's a, it, well, I was a bit flabbergasted when I read those set of, sets of rules by Amazon Studios, because if you take them seriously, um, it's quite an invasion of your private space, because you would actually be forced to ask an actor before you cast him or her whether they're gay. I mean, I, I think that's just crazy, you know, to, uh, to invade your private space that way. I mean, we, we, we all agree that we want equal opportunity for everyone, 
that that's not a question at all, but to just do away right. with the artistic part of um, of this profession is just uh, crazy. I think it's like um, doing reality television. Where is the, mm-hmm. the artistic process? Where is the acting involved? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Before we move on to our third section, is there any last questions that you guys have or anything that you want to touch on, Miguel, before you move on to what we've seen this week? Well, yeah, what I'd like to mention maybe is that um, I find it a bit strange that film schools teach so little about acting. You know, I went to film school in uh, in Munich to the Munich <laughs> Film Academy and we really only had one uh-huh. single class or seminar dealing with acting. And I, oh my gosh. Know, we just should have had so many more, but somehow it always feels like film schools want to teach mostly about the technical aspect of filmmaking, and they neglect one of the most important aspects, I think, which is working with the actor. But I had at least one seminar, and then that was very helpful, so maybe I, I can tell about that, because it was a great defining moment for me as a young director learning the craft, because we had a very renowned German theater director coaching us d- during that seminar, and we had actors from an acting school joining us for the course. And one of the tasks was to have the actors do uh, improvs, and then we, the directing students, were uh, supposed to give directions or ask for adjustments. And our tutors smelled the trouble very quickly because we were so horribly afraid of actors, because to us, you know, they felt like <laughs> aliens from another planet. Which was total bullshit, of course. We were all so deadly silent and nobody dared speak with the actors. So our tutor interrupted and he grabbed the young actor by his arms and said to us, hey guys, people, these are your partners. Actors are your partners, normal human beings. You can talk to them. You can even touch them, draw them closer, be nice and kind (laughs) to them and just tell them what you think. As simple as that. And I mean, it it sounds silly, but this was such a eureka moment for me because all my inhibitions were gone in that moment. And I've just had wonderful working relationships with actors ever since. But I I wish that film schools, you know, would teach more about the craft of acting and the actor-director relationship. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, you know, we have a lot of very well-regarded film schools in Los Angeles And we encourage, you know, up and coming actors to get to know the filmmakers at AFI and USC and UCLA and to participate Mm -hmm. in the student films because these are up and coming filmmakers. It's a great way to learn more about your craft, to learn more about the technical aspects of filmmaking. You can have really great experiences doing that. So I've done a couple and they were actually sometimes extremely professional productions that I participated in. Mm -hmm. And you Mm -hmm. could see the difference between those who had had more experience working with actors and those who were Mm -hmm. all about the technical and were not maybe getting the full length of instruction that they should be getting on how to work with actors. Even just the fact that you understand the Mm -hmm. great, great value of giving somebody an actable direction and the focus Mm -hmm. on activities and doings and verbs, you know, this is something that is so, so critical for directors to understand. And and I completely agree with you. I don't know that our directing students are being fully served by the kind of marketplace that we're in right now. I know that at Playhouse West, where I was a Mm -hmm. student and then a teacher for many, many years, and that's how I know Brian, over the years we've had many directors come in and take the classes in Meisner themselves. And really Mm -hmm. the aim was to get inside the spirit of being in in an improvisational approach to acting and really understanding the importance of listening and being fully present and having a sense of play Mm -hmm. 
and breaking down scripts and seeing them, you know, holistically and in human terms. And many, many directors mm -hmm. whom I've met at Playhouse West have been, I would say, very well served by that training that they themselves undertook. Yeah. I often get asked by directors whether I do a course for directors. And I say, mm -hmm. yes, it's called the acting course. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, a lot of directors want to just deal with the theory or sit down and listen mm -hmm. to points about acting as opposed to actually doing it. Of course, they're not going to be actors necessarily or don't want to be. But I think you have to travel in the shoes of an actor to really understand the process, whether you're good at it or not, it doesn't yes. really matter. It's being exposed to the process of it and the mechanics of it and the utility of the tools and techniques. I mean, in Russia, in Russia, if you're a director, you train as a director and then you add an extra, a year or two to that as an actor. They train as actors too as part wow, of their curriculum. Fantastic. So it ends up being four or five-year training. Yeah. Have you ever done any acting, Miguel? Um, in my own Super 8 movies when I was like 14, 15. <laughs> That's the only experience I, I, I had. That's good. Yeah. That well, yeah. I, that I, totally I, counts. I, 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 <laughs> I really appreciate <laughs> what it means to be in front of the camera and to, you know, give your skin and soul and body to uh, the performance um, and to, to put yourself out there. So that's why I have so much, so much sympathy for actors. And like I was saying before, the casting process, I'm totally just as nervous as the actor because uh, I, I see the other side and uh, I have a lot of respect for that profession. That's really great. It's great to talk to you. It's great to hear it and, and to hear so much from your perspective about how you care about the, the profession and the process and the, and the craft of everything. I think we should probably leave it here for now anyway, until we talk again. And we should talk about if we have any top tips that we want to recommend to our listeners. So Miguel, certainly plug your film again. That doesn't have to be your one that you're recommending to people, but I'll, you plug it again just so that people go and check it out on Netflix. Okay, so I have two recommendations for you listeners out there. One of them, I have to admit, is my own film. It's called Black Island, and it's coming out on Netflix on August 18th. It's a dark thriller set on an island of the North Sea here in Germany. Go check it out. And the other film that I would like to recommend, I just saw that last night in a proper movie theater called Another Round, which is a, a Danish movie by Thomas Winterberg. And I really enjoyed that last night, especially you know, Mats Mikkelsen's performance. It's absolutely amazing. His stoicism is incredibly moving. And maybe that's what's so striking about his performance, mm. that you can project all your feelings into his character up there on the screen. And it feels so true. So go check it out. Another round. Great. Uh, Andrea, what about you? What have you seen this past week or listened to or read? <laughs> um, I finished the book that I recommended on our last podcast, An Ambush of Widows by Jeff Abbott. I highly recommend it if you're looking for a nice mystery novel that's just come out this summer. He writes wonderful stories. I also really like his Sam Capra series. If you're looking for something fun, sort of CIA, ex-CIA agent whose cover is opening bars around the world. <laughs> really love his Sam Capra series. So check those out. Also, you know, I have not seen it yet because it's opening on Friday. But I want to give a shout out to this new show coming up on Netflix called The Chair with Sandra Oh. Also appearing are Holland Taylor, Jay Duplass, and my dear friend, whom I've spoken of a couple times, Jim Frona, an amazing cinematographer here based in L.A. 
he did the cinematography for these episodes. And um, so I've been meeting with Jim this week, actually. And so I have a little bit of some stories from behind the scenes, but really glowing stories about the performers. And there's quite a, a longish trailer available on Netflix. So you get a good sense of the tone of it. There's a lovely rhythm to it. It's bouncy sometimes. It's funny. It's dramatic fantastic, really experienced cast. And um, I think it's going to be very, very well done and well received. So I'm keeping my eye out for the chair starting this Friday on Netflix, at least here in the US. I'm not sure if it's opening in Europe this Friday. I hope it will be. <laughs> well, probably by the time this episode comes out, it will be open. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> this episode might come out in two months. So, you know, um, and what about you, Gary? Yeah, I, I've just finished watching Your Honor, the TV series Your Honor with Brian mm. Cranston, which mm. is fantastic. You know, it's always hard when you've done Breaking Bad to sort of measure up against anything, really, uh, or measure up against that with anything else. But what's great about it is there's a couple of things. One is his performance throughout, and he's one of these, and we've talked about it in our podcast on many occasions, particularly with the sort of technique side of things and the craft and the expression that comes out of that. And he uses all of himself. There is a real behavioral animal there and he understands things need to be communicated in a scene. And even if he's sitting down, he's not just a talking head. He'll involve his the rest of his body, even if it's just we can only see from the waist upwards and he's at a table and he's using props. And so that's a very expressive performance without it being too much and it or still being grounded in a, in a reality. So he, he makes most use of himself, which is fascinating to watch and brilliant to watch. And on top of that, the actual show itself, there's every scene, there's something going on. It's like, oh no, and then the next thing happens and then the next thing happens. So there's a real drive throughout the series that just keeps you kind of glued to it. So I recommend Your Honor with Brian Cranston. Nice. Nice. Um, for me, I started watching Dairy Girls, which is a oh, series yeah. on Netflix, which is set in Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. I think it's in the 80s during the troubles where there's armed police and, and military kind of patrolling the streets. It, but it's a comedy and mm -hmm. it's very, very charactery and fun and there's some great performances and so i would i would recommend that one this week check out dairy girls on netflix as always you guys if you want to get in touch with us if you have a question about something that's going on on set maybe you have someone on your set that uh, you think doesn't like you and you want to share that with us and have us dig into it see it's easier for me to tell other people what to do than it is for me to know what i should do myself so um <laughs> I would appreciate it if, if you get in touch, but definitely get in touch with us. We're at Vagabond Actors on Instagram and on Twitter, and we have a Facebook page as well. We love answering questions or dealing with topics that you might give us. And if you want to get in touch with us as individuals, you can do that. You can get in touch with me at Brian Casp on Instagram and on Twitter. And what about you, Gary? How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, they can get in touch with me, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of them are at Gary Condes or go to my website and have a little look around. If you have any questions, drop me a line from my contact page. It'd be great to hear from you. All right, Andrea. I am on Instagram at Andrea Helene 3 and on Twitter at Andrea underscore Helene. And I think that on our next episode, we're going to introduce each other's social media handles. Okay, that's good. That would be, that's a good challenge. Um, and <laughs> 
Miguel, what about you? So if if someone wants to get in touch with you, you you don't have to have social media. I don't know if you do, but do you um, do you social media or how? I do a little bit. I'm not too too great on it. I should maybe um, pick it up a bit more because that's you're too busy with all your ri- other writing that you but have. You, yeah, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram. Just my name. Use my name. All right. So thanks very much for joining us tonight and for talking with us, Miguel. It's been a real pleasure and. Yeah. Um, been a great pleasure talking to you guys. Thank you. So thanks again for joining us. And for all of you guys out there, uh, we hope you stay creative and stay safe. And uh, until next time, ciao. Thanks for listening, folks. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.